It's really nice to see something like this all come together, to see people really understand the possibility of what you can do online, you know, with different kinds of media and books. We all love books. We all, we are friends and fiction. We are friends of fiction, but you know, it's a, uh, it, it, it's clever. It's, clever. Very clever. Thank you. Thank you. You can use that, please. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Each week we delve into storytelling from multifaceted angles, and this week is certainly no exception. You will be as enamored of this week's guest as we are. Beth Ann Patrick, who is not only the host of the wildly popular podcast Missing Pages, also has quite a career as a literary influencer. I am Ron Block. And I am Patty Callahan Henry. Beth Ann truly is the ultimate insider. If you read book reviews, you undoubtedly know Beth Ann. Her endorsements in venues like the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, NPR, and the Boston Globe have moved hundreds of thousands of copies of books. Beth Ann has 200,000 plus Twitter followers and originated the popular Hashtag Friday Reads. The author of two books for National Geographic and editor of an anthology for Reagan Arts, Patrick's debut memoir, Life B, which I cannot wait for, will be published by Counterpoint in May 2023. What date in May, Beth Ann? May 16th. Oh, so exciting. It's great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. I'm so glad this all worked out. Um, So congratulations on the Missing Pages podcast. How did the podcast start? Was it your idea and then you found a company to produce it? Or was it the other way around? A producer had the idea and found the podcast perfect host in you. It was the latter. um, Although I do want to say I'll tell you a little bit more in a moment about I have a producer credit because I did influence the idea. So uh, the Podglomerate, which is this wonderful little company, it's growing. It won't be little for long, I'm sure, had been producing and distributing podcasts for a few years. But they never, when I say producing, they were hosting, really. They hadn't produced a show from the ground up. So they talked about doing what they called the page six of publishing. You know, it was going to be all about fiascos and scams and scandals. Mm -hmm. So they were working on it. They'd done some um, writing and they hadn't found a host. And I connected with Jeff Umbro, who's the CEO and our executive producer. And he said, I think you'd be a great host for this podcast. 
want to jump on board. And I did. And I'll just close for the moment by saying we wound up changing a lot about the show, including its original title and, you know, diving deeper into problems in the publishing industry. I'm kind of enamored here. I said that earlier, but only because I feel like I'm listening to your podcast and talking to you. The kind of conversion <laughs> at my the brain. same time, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, what is she going to break into right now? <laughs> uh, Maybe we're the literary case. <laughs> yes, she's on the literary PCH case. So, tell us a little bit more about Missing Pages itself. The show's tagline is "Reopening Literary Cold Cases." Who? chooses these cases how do you find them did you go in with this whole list of stories of course we were thrilled to see all of them but we love how you explored the dan mallory story oh god we were obsessed Crazy with that <laughs> oh thank you thank you well I'll, i will say that there were two or three ideas that we started with and Dan Mallory was one of those. I mean, how can you explore literary scandals without talking about Dan Mallory? There's just no way. Um, but I brought in a few ideas of my own, including the Anna March episode. Um, and I was personally involved in that. And then, you know, some other ideas. Some of those ideas have been pushed on for perhaps later episodes. We don't know what's going to happen, but you never know. Um, some of them came up from our showrunner, Kayla Littman, and from the rest of our production team, which involves producers Jordan Aaron and Matt Keeley. And basically the four or five of us really hashed things out. It took a long time to put this together, not because we didn't have expertise or passion for it, but because we really wanted to make sure that the episodes we started with were the ones that were really going to grab people, but that also we could cover well. That's awesome. So it's selecting the people that you talk to. That's the next step I want to talk about is like you, you lay the episode out and, and I just yep. listened to the one where the author of the secret lives of church ladies uh, Disha Filiog, yes. yes. Oh my God, that was one of my favorite books ever. But like, oh, I would love so hearing you talk to her. How do you decide who you're going to bring in and get more information from? What a great question, because it's such an important part of our process. We didn't want um, to just write these sort of flat scripts, especially because, you know, this is my first time hosting a podcast. I had a lot to learn. I wanted to make sure not only that I learned what's necessary, you know, to sound like I'm not reading off a page. I don't know if I did that always so well, but that I took advantage of what I do well already, which is interviewing authors. Mm -hmm. So why not bring other people in? Because I know that when I'm interviewing someone, I am not stiff. I am not reading off of a page. I'm completely involved, you know, with that. It just, it remains my ultimate passion when I get to sit down for an hour or maybe even a little longer sometimes with an author, whether it's via phone, Zoom, on a stage, whatever, I am totally there. It is such a flow state for me. I love talking to people about their creativity and their process. And so the people we interviewed, um, and Ron, you asked about, you know, 
how we decided on that. We went through really carefully and thought, you know, who are the people we know well who are relevant right now and will remain relevant, who have something to say about this, who have, you know, a real message about, even if they weren't, most of them, some of the people we interviewed and talked to had a stake in things, you know, like Jessica Crispin had written about Dan Mallory. We had authors on who had written books about, you know, different kinds of hype for Caroline Calloway, but it didn't matter if they were directly involved. It mattered more that they had something to say. And Disha's understanding of social media and life online as an author is just, it's um, unparalleled. So I knew that I wanted her to talk about that with us and was so grateful. She continues to be the most generous literary citizen. We did a Twitter spaces last night with Disha, Alexander Chi, and Sarah Weinman. Wow. Amazing. Just amazing. And the fact that they were willing to take an hour out of their incredibly busy schedules to talk about missing pages and stand up for it. I mean, that means a lot to me. And so I wanted to talk to other people like that, people like Jessa, people like Luis Urea, uh, people who really support other authors. And so that was sort of the tension, right, in, right. in Missing Pages. We're talking about people who scam other people or do <laughs> things that aren't quite above board. But then we get people on the show who are really stand up men and women. And I, I love that juxtaposition. So do we as listeners. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank well, you. It, they rub up against each other, right? So that you see it from two. And one of my favorite things I was listening, listening to you talk about what it means to interview someone. But when you interview someone and they tell you something that then if you're paying attention, then leads to something else and leads to something else. And then all of a sudden there's this spider web because you weren't sticking exactly to what they told you to do. And then that brings in this interview. And then yeah. the story takes on this whole, like it, it's broken free of its, of its constrictors by, by those interviews. Patty, that is so correct. And I can't tell you how many times I, you I mean, I, uh, you guys were very kind to mention my memoir earlier, and I hope that I've grown as a writer, but I will never, ever be as good a writer as I am a reader. Mm. I am uh. a very deep reader, and I can't tell you how many times I've brought something up, and either an author will say, you know, I hadn't thought of that, or yeah. how did you know that, or, and, and I'm thinking... It's not because I'm a magician. It's not because I've been stalking you. It's because I've been stalking your words. I'm just and paying a very... attention yes. to the words. Thank you. That's Being exactly right. Being present to the words. Yes. Seeing like what shimmers underneath them. Yes. Yeah, it's a gift. Ron has it too. No, I, I, we've it's happened a few times on this podcast, and I, I'm just always so amazed at how kind people are to answer the questions and then they go like i'd never thought of that before in fact i think it was brad melcher <laughs> my favorite line is like i've never told anyone this before 
boom, gave us a <laughs> yes. story. When you get to those moments, when you get to those stories that haven't been told before, when someone, you know, allows themselves to open up to you that way, but they're therefore also open up to hundreds of other people, mm-hmm. you know, something special is happening and it is not happening because uh, Ron or Beth Ann is amazing. It's happening because of communication, right? It's happening because two people have leaned into trust so hard that they're able to, at Patty just said a few minutes ago, make that shimmer happen. Right underneath That's the words. So, so perfect. Oh. Okay, just to, to take a little hard right here. I imagine yeah, that <laughs> because we could talk about that the whole time. Oh, so back yeah. to missing pages. Here I come, imagine here that come the hardball questions. No. No, 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 no. I imagine that a huge number of publishing professionals are glued to these episodes of missing pages. Many because you're uncovering lots of details about legendary industry stories, but some I'm sure are wondering, hmm, are we going to be mentioned? (laughs) Are there topics you've been afraid to touch? Um, Being afraid you might harm professional relationships or friendships or publishers themselves? Not so far. This is, it's a very fair question, right? One of the things that I like to make sure people hear from me in interviews is, okay, you started with this, and I I am billed by the podglomerate as a literary insider, but I really think of myself as sort of an outsider insider. I don't know how to explain Mm, it. You know, I I didn't. I didn't come up through the traditional publishing path. I wanted to desperately, you know, I went to college and got a job in publishing, but I also fell in love with a West Point cadet and I wound up (laughs) marrying him and moving to Germany with him, thus ending my early career in publishing, which would have paid such a pittance. I don't know how I would have survived in New York City. But, you know, I chose to become this military spouse, which is, I don't know, it's so antithetical to books and publishing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it took me a long time to come back around to you're starting out writing book reviews. And then um, I had a couple of jobs that allowed me to get much closer to New York and the center of the publishing industry and all this kind of thing and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I don't need to repeat my whole career to you guys. That's boring. But what I will say is, (laughs) is I didn't, uh, you know, come up from the inside. I'm in Northern Virginia. I have a kind of gimlet eye on the New York publishing world. I don't know everything, but I know enough to ask questions and of Mm. whom to ask questions. So I have, I know many, many people in publishing, but not everyone. And so For instance, when someone comes up in a story who's done something really terrible, I might know their name, but I don't know them personally. And I will say, I think I've been very fortunate. I think I've worked with some of the best 
kindest and most honorable people in the business. I haven't worked with a lot of the people who are bad actors in these stories, except Anna March. And so that is not a huge um, concern of mine. It may come around at some point if Missing Pages continues or if I do some other kind of work with literary um, problems and scandals and things like that. But one of the things that I brought to the table in developing this podcast was saying, I don't just want to be gossipy. I mean, the show is plenty juicy and gossipy, and I think that's something that people are responding to, which is natural. But I wanted to also ask why. What's going on here? Why don't we have more, you know, women in powerful positions in our industry? Why are underrepresented groups not given, you know, more play and attention? Why are mental health issues so often overlooked and buried in all of this? Why don't we think about these things? So even if in a podcast, we don't get as deep as maybe I would like, or some listeners would like, I'm hoping that people are seeing that we're bringing up these questions so that I'm never trying to say so-and-so is bad, so-and-so is bad, so-and-so is bad. I'm trying to say what put them in this position where they were able to do something that was bad. And would we do the same thing? Because it always comes back to us, right? Like would hearing that, does it echo backwards? Like you would we do the same thing? In that position, what would we have done? Yep. Which is such a great question. And, you know, this week's episode, we have one more dropping next Monday, which is very interesting. That one is on Greg Mortensen and Three Cups of Tea. So I can't wait. (gasps) We have definitely got some information that hasn't come out before. It may not be. I won't tell you more, but this week's was the romance versus reality episode. And it's me talking to, uh, uh, well, it's actually my, one of my producers, but um, he's playing the curmudgeon. Like I'm saying, oh, this is how a book gets made. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a lot harder than that. And it was just fun to play with that idea because you both know, we all know, there's so many people who think, I've got a great idea for a book. You know, can you help me get published, Patty? You know, no. <laughs> well, first, Patty, can you help me write the book? Right. Yeah. Can you write it for yeah. me? Can, can you write it for me? Can you then, you know, find me an and agent? And put my name on it. Write it for oh. me and put my name on it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know so much about writing, Patty. Why, you know, why don't you just put it together and I'll make sure it all, uh, I, believe me, we've all heard this a thousand mm-hmm. times. So part of Missing Pages is also to demystify the whole publishing process, to stop making it so I like that a lot. 
you know, mm-hmm. so opaque, something that only a few people at the top of a very high ivory tower office building in Manhattan can talk about. Uh, missing pages is about saying, you know, here's what an advance is. You know, here's what co-op placement is. Here's what an agent does and doesn't do. Those are all wrapped into our episodes as well. That's so true. And that just reminds me of the Caroline um, episode where she was asked to give back only part of her advance. And I've never heard that before. It's either all or nothing, but just part. Right. Well, people, people don't realize that advances are parceled out, you know? And so she'd only received part of it. That's why she didn't have to give back the rest because right. she hadn't gotten it. Gotten it yet. Um, you know, and then for her, I mean, well, no, I don't want to give any spoilers for people who haven't listened to yet. But, you know, you have to listen, people, to the second part of Caroline Calloway. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that because I'm seeing that a lot of people are listening to the first part. And I don't think they realize um, well enough that it's a two-parter and that the Mm -hmm. second half of the episode is nuttier than the first. more explosive, for sure. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, you've mentioned um, the episode with Anna March. And yes. one of the things that struck me about it is how um, you come across as kind of like really being tentative about having decided to put that story forward because of yeah. your own involvement. But it was very brave yes. in the end for you to do that and talk about your own involvement. Um, and you just basically let the truth fly. Can you talk about your decision to move forward with this one? And I highly recommend this episode to anybody who hasn't listened yet. Thank you so much. That was a really difficult decision. And I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, when it happened, the Anna March stuff, a lot of us didn't want to talk about it to anyone. Some of us were humiliated. Some of us were still waiting for monies to be paid. Mm-hmm. Some of us weren't sure what we were allowed to say or not say. We were a little, you know, afraid. Then Melissa Chadburn and Carolyn Kellogg started investigating and then reporting on the entire situation. And I did know that people were talking to them. The only time that I spoke about that article um, was when Carolyn asked me if I would give a quote about Anna's magnetism. And I understand exactly why Carolyn was asking for that, but I felt I couldn't give it to her because it would negate the experiences of all my friends who in the article were talking about the trauma they'd gone through. And I thought, I do not want to say something positive, even if it's factual, and take away from that. And I think that the finished piece, which was published in the LA Times in 2018, was really powerful and you know showed a lot of people exactly who this Anna March, not her real name, was. So, you know, four years go by. And fortunately, I haven't had to give a lot of energy or thought to Anna in those four years. But when we started talking about developing an eight-episode season, I said, listen, let me tell you this story. I'm going to tell it to you in fewer than five minutes. If you think it's interesting, let me know. And after about 30 seconds, what <laughs> One of the producers jumped in and said, oh, my God, this is going to be our best episode. 
And I said, okay, if you really believe that, then I will work on it. And so what I did, Ron, and this is, and then I'll, 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 I'll wind up is I wrote it as an essay, as a personal essay. That was the only way I could get it out. I couldn't write it as, as a script. I couldn't just play with it. It was so heavy for me that I had to write it all the way through. So it's very, the episode is very personal. We did wind up, you know, doing some scripting around the pieces that I read, but that was how the only way I was able to get the full story from my perspective out. And fortunately, we did have Karen Palmer and Melissa Chadburn, mm-hmm. my fellow writers, uh, who were yeah. willing to speak about this because there were a lot of people who said, no, I can't. I, I'm, I'm still too damaged by this situation. I'm mm. not going anywhere near this episode. That's fascinating. And and it came across like so important though, too, like to, to really dive deep into this, this story was, um, it just felt not only personal from your perspective, but just really kind of a cautionary tale for people in the industry. Absolutely. I think all of these are cautionary tales in many ways. Yeah. 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 That's true. They are. And one of the things I was going to say about that is that, um, I did not know until I'd been scammed by Anna, because I'd never been scammed before, that con artists look for people like me and my comrades in this story who have not been scammed. They know. They don't look for, so they don't look for marks who have been conned again and again. They look for people who are very trusting because we've had good careers, good lives, good experiences. And that, that that's their psychological trick is they know, okay, I can come in here. She'll never suspect a thing. Well, to say that we don't think it would have been us is foolhardy. So exactly. <laughs> we love that in addition to the dishiness and the scandals and the deep dives into scammers and con artists, and plagiarists, your sense of humor, as we can tell from talking to you today, you're so funny. Your wit is right on target. You always include book recs at the end of the show. Can you talk to us about why you feel that's important? How do you go about making the list? And where can we find that list of book recs? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I have so much to say about this. First of all, The interesting thing about the podglomerate is that not all, and I I don't want to do do or say anything I shouldn't, so I won't um, talk about individual names and positions, but several of the people have either worked in bookstores or in the publishing industry or are connected to the literary media. And so everyone had lots of fabulous ideas about book recommendations to include. And I love that because I've been recommending books, as you both know, for a long, long time. But I loved that these recommendations were not always all for me, that they came from other people working on the show um, who had really fresh ideas. But what we also did was we decided to include the actual books written by the people who are the subjects of the show (laughs) to include the books written by the people who are interviewed for the show. 
and also to add anything that also seemed relevant, like a new edition that came out or something like that. And so here's where you can find them all. They're all at apple.co slash books missing pages, all one word. And the important thing about this and why I'm mentioning it is not because I only care about iBooks or anything like that, but we did a really cool thing with Apple Podcasts and Apple Books. Their first collaboration of creating a bookshelf in iBooks for a podcast. It's really, really a great thing. And so we want you to be able to buy these books wherever you can. And so on our pages, we've got, you know, links to other places, Barnes and Noble and Bookshop and, you know, the big A word and all that stuff. But on, I know, right? But on Apple Books, there's this special shelf where you can find everything in one place, apple.co slash books missing pages. And I just thought this shows. And so I was so excited about this because how many years ago was it? 17 years ago that I was at AOL Books and saying, Look at what you can do. Look at where books can be. There should be, you know, online shelves of books and this and that. All these things that publishers at the time were just like, oh, what a nice little digital woman. What, you know, what is she talking about? I went to what used to be called the Stanford Publishing Course in 2005. And I went as, I wasn't officially there with AOL, but it didn't matter. And I was the only digital person in 2005 they'd ever had at that course, which is for mid-career book and magazine publishing professionals, okay? All of them were just like, what are you doing here? And the head of the Time Warner group, because we were AOL Time Warner for a short time, was, I'm forgetting his name, he was the man who founded People Magazine. Really. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really terrific, amazing guy. And he said, you are part of our family. You are coming to our dinner with, you know, the editors of these magazines and the editors of, and they were all sort of looking at me like I had three heads. And so (laughs) the fact that now we've got a podcast that has its own shelf on Apple books is to me, maybe not quite, I told you so, but it's really nice to see something like this all come together, to see people really understand the possibility of what you can do online, you know, with different kinds of media and books. We all love books. We all, we are friends and fiction. We are friends of fiction, but you know, it's a, it's clever. Clever. Thank you. Thank you. You can use that, please. Thank you. (laughs) You know, it's really, it's, it's really fun um, to, to see all of this come around before my career is over. No, I doubt that's happening. I think, I think it's on fire. My Me friend. too. Me too. <laughs> so you. you, you have obviously had your finger on the pulse of, of book publishing, both reviews and the podcast and all your interviews and things. Is there a book it can be forthcoming um, that, that you think should be in every reader's hands? Oh boy. Um, you can pick two. Well, I've been talking a lot about two um, of them. 
I usually don't talk about books that I'm currently writing the review of because I don't want to, you know, but uh, one of the books that is forthcoming, it will be coming out on October 4th is Celeste Ng's Our Missing Hearts. Oh, yes. Okay. And this is a really important book, I think, for everyone to read right now because it's a little bit dystopian and it's very, very plainly told. It's amazing. It's not like her other novels. It's quite different and it's superb. She got a rave review from Stephen King in the New York Mm -hmm. Times. Um, It is a book about a boy who goes by the name Bird. His real name is Noah, but Bird works with um, everything else in the book. And his mother is the daughter of Chinese immigrants. And in this version of the United States, there is something called PACT. Uh, it's a an act that's been passed for the protection of American culture and traditions, the PACT Act. And this act is aimed particularly at Asian Americans. And that's because in this fictional world, there has been a crisis. It's unspecified. But a lot of Chinese influence and money have come into the United States. And so the government, which has become very rigid and controlling and conservative, decides that we need to, you know, minimize any influence from Asia and from other places. It's a really chilling book. Children are separated by the government from their parents. If their parents are Asian American, multiracial, black, it's really chilling. But it's done in such a matter-of-fact way that it is anything but melodrama. It, it, It becomes spare and beautiful. And it is a book we all need to read right now to understand how the increasing movement to make things more quote unquote American and less about other cultures and traditions and values, what can happen when it's taken to its nth degree or not even nth, you know? I just got chills listening to you talk about it. I have it on my nightstand and I'm putting it at the top. You will not be disappointed in the least. I hope everyone reads it. But you did say I could have two recommendations. I did. So I I will indulge me. The other one, which is also frightening, but it's nonfiction and it's also incredibly beautiful, is All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days by Rebecca Donner. And Rebecca Donner is an amazing novelist. I believe this is her might not be her first work of nonfiction, but it's the first that is sort of this concatenation of of biography and memoir. So it's the story of her great, great aunt, Mildred Harnack. Mildred Harnack is the only American woman who was active in the German resistance, not the American resistance, but the German resistance. She had moved to Berlin with her husband, um, who was German, and they were both resistors on many fronts. But she did get involved with the intra-German resistance movement and became targeted. Uh, She was ultimately executed by direct order of Hitler in 1943. But the book is about the extraordinary work she did. The book is about her marriage, 
her friendship circle, the people who, who were really fighting this evil. We, we always think it was all Germans, that there were no good Germans. And we also think of the term good German as being something that we, it's ironic, you know, it's a difficult phrase, but there were people who were fighting hard from within Berlin, from within German society. And so the story becomes complicated, and this is where it verges into memoir, when Rebecca manages to get in touch with a man named Donald, who was a little boy, and the little boy Donald, at around eight, nine years old, became Mildred's courier. Wow. He would carry things in his school backpack. Okay, I'm getting chills now. Yes. Now, the chills are taking over. Here's what happens. Rebecca finally finds him. He has, maybe it was one trunk, maybe it was two trunks, full of materials, letters, his mother's diaries, his notes, things that he knew, only he could know, that could finish this story. Two months after Rebecca meets Don, he dies. He's in his early 90s. <sighs> this story never could have come to full fruition if she hadn't sought him out and met him and gotten these materials. It is. It has been winning all kinds of awards. It is so amazing. It's really different. It's really poetic and stream of consciousness in some places because she recreates Donald's, you know, viewpoint. She recreates Mildred's viewpoint. It's an astonishing achievement. And so, yeah, I, those, those are the two. I, I promise not to give more because I could go on, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, those sound incredible. But speaking of books, next year, your memoir, Life B. Overcoming Double Depression will be published. This sounds deeply personal, Bethann, and also really important. Can you tell us a bit about the book and what, what you hope to accomplish when you were writing it and publishing? You know, um, I know this is a show about fiction, so I won't say have me back on next year. Oh, we totally uh, will. I appreciate being totally to talk will. a little, being able to talk a little bit about it right now because I just want to say uh, the book couldn't be more different from missing pages <laughs> if, if I tried, if I tried. I started working on the book about, mm -mm, started working on the book about five years ago, and then I had published the essay it's based on six years ago on L.com. And Life B um, is a memoir about a form of depression I have that is sometimes called double depression. There might be some psychiatrists and psychologists who, you know, have different terms for it. It is in the DSM. Uh, it's a form of cycling mental illness, but it is not the same as bipolar, even bipolar two, which has a lot more depression because cycling depression, um, if a bipolar person starts out let's say, here's normal, this particular line, and mania goes up and depression goes down. A person with my illness 
starts lower than normal and then keeps going lower. So it's a combination of chronic depression and major depressive episodes. And yeah. And here's the thing. I knew around the time I was an adolescent that I was depressed, right? Quote unquote depressed. And, you know, I got some therapy uh, some years after that, when I was in my 20s, I started taking antidepressants, you know, under the supervision, of course, of a psychiatrist. And for years, I went to psychiatrists, psychotherapists, counselors, downed my antidepressants dutifully. So I thought I was doing everything I could do. I was living, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, I thought a normal life, but it wasn't really normal because I didn't find out until about six years ago um, in my 50s that I need an anti-cyclic medication to keep me from continuing to go down. So all this time, all of these years, five decades of life, I've been living every day depressed and I didn't know it. I, I knew there was something that wasn't right. And I would say to all these doctors, to my husband, to my parents, you know, something's wrong, something's wrong. And my my editor, the wonderful dance Matanka of Catapult and Counterpoint, it's like, stop saying there was something wrong. It's so, you know, it's so cliched. You say it too often, but I'm like, that's what my mind was saying. My mind kept saying, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. And there was. And that's what the memoir is about. It's a lot about um, inheritance. Uh, I had mental illness. In There was mental illness of some kind or another in all four of my grandparents, but it really affected me in the forms of my two grandmothers. And so the book has a lot to do with my grandmothers, my mother, my sister, me, and my two daughters. Wow. This sounds like a really important and brave book. I know that, you know, in the zeitgeist, people are talking a lot more about mm-hmm. inherited trauma, inherited illness, and what a timely and what a heart generous thing for you to do to take what is hard for you and share it with the world, hoping that it helps someone else. Uh, you know, um, from your mouth to the readership's ears, because it is not easy. It's not easy for my family members. It's not easy for me, but it is, I, I think, important because I want people to know there shouldn't be a stigma around talking about right. these things, right. you know, and it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a big, um, it's a big hurdle that many of us have to jump over. So now that I've got the memoir written and out of the way, I'm hoping I can turn to fiction and do some more writing of the kind that I've always wanted to do. But it has taken me a long road to be able to do that, to be able to say that. And one of the things that I hope all of my work does whether it's, you know, a gossipy podcast or, you know, book recommendations, what have you, I hope it just helps people realize that there is something out there that's going to speak to them. You know, this book, that book, a hundred books, but, you know, just, just, just keep reading and you will find the book that speaks to you. Nourishes you. Yes. Wow. 
Well, I hate to do this, but Beth Ann, it's been truly, truly amazing to get to know you. You are the ultimate literary citizen. And I know our listeners are going to be tuning into Missing Pages, pre-ordering Life B, all the, all the things. But can you uh, share with us where people can connect with you online? Absolutely. I tweet as at the book maven. My Instagram is at dear book maven. I am on Facebook uh, as Bethann underscore Patrick. And I also have sort of a book maven page there, but I don't use it very often. So tweet me, gram me, you know, all that kind of thing. My website is bethannpatrick.com. And I am really open to hearing from people and look forward to maybe getting a message from one of your listeners. That'd be That'd great. Be awesome. Oh, oh, I think that'll happen. They're, they're very <laughs> loyal and they're very communicative. That's for sure. Thank you, you guys so have much. done something special. Uh, sorry, sorry. No, sorry. you're fine. Go. I, I just wanted to, to say you. you all have done something really special with friends in fiction. And I wrote about it um, a couple of years ago during mm-hmm. the early stage of the pandemic for the Washington Post. And I'm just so impressed by how this has continued and may it never end. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you, as always, to our listeners. We never take for granted that out of all the listening choices that are out there, that you choose us. On behalf of the Fab Four, know that we appreciate you. If you're enjoying our conversations, please be sure to tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.